Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek Podcast number 113. I'm John Davis, of course, and joining me around our table in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters is our writer, Brian Robinson. I am Brian Robinson, of course, and as well. Well, are you done yet? Yes. Assistant producer, Greg Carlos. That is me, short and sweet. <laughs> Over the Edge reporter, Zach Maskell. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what's right, What's missing is... Uh, our podcast I'm, producer? Yeah. Now, uh, mm-hmm. Well, our mm-hmm. podcast producer's not here, uh, uh, Pat Lucas, Patrick Lucas, but also he usually says writer and two-wheeling yeah. uh, host, uh, Brian Robinson. So yeah. they left that off today. So I, I got told him to make sure he got that right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He does a lot more here than just uh, type at a computer. Uh, we have our lightning round uh, but, and a viewer question, but of course what we always do at the beginning of our podcast is talk about some of the latest cars that we've tested at Motor Week. Now, these two cars were both cars we did er, late in uh, January when we do our um, week at Roebling Road Raceway outside of Savannah to get uh, shows in the can before the uh, worst of the winter weather, which I'm sure we're all glad we did this year because uh, our mid-Atlantic weather has not been conducive to testing. But the 2015 Cadillac ATS Coupe 2.0, and we're going to also talk about the Nissan GTR. All right, let's start with the uh, Caddy ATS Coupe 2.0. This, of course, is the Coupe version of the four-door with the two-liter turbo engine that we had tested before. Um, did the four at uh, four-door at Roebling and now the two-door. Any differences? I mean, we liked both cars. No, no difference between that and the sedan. Uh, the biggest takeaway for me was still has the power to surprise. I mean, just the idea of taking a, a two-liter ATS coupe out on a track doesn't really, uh, you know, make you too excited. But when you get out there after a couple laps, I mean, it's just a just a fun, fun car. Plenty of power. Uh, it handles really good. Brakes are great. Uh, uh, pretty decent fun, transmission. Fun yeah, shifter's great. Yeah, I, uh, I like that shifter, actually. Uh, on the street, I felt like it was a little... Um, a little too mechanical for the street, but that was also after driving the RGTI, which mm-hmm. has a silky smooth shifter. Um, but on the track, it's great. It works really well. Uh, like Robinson said, it's something that's – it kind of got lost in the mix with everything else we, we had We had there. so many interesting cars. But if you just had that and you're out to blast around on the track, I mean, you can have a lot of fun because you can – you pretty much – use everything this car has i mean mm-hmm. if you're like not up to driving a supercar you can really push this thing hard and have a great time yeah like brian said it doesn't really feel as fast as the competitors but it does have pretty wonderful handling and this year they made the suspension stiffer and sport mode is uh i guess you could call it harsh if you push it harder um, not the best of steering, but you still know where the car is going to go. So uh, definitely a fun car. I love the ATS. And, of course, we have have taken two manuals to our track in, in Savannah, and I know very few of them actually get sold. But when you're actually talking about being a competitor against a, a three-series or something for enthusiasts, that's uh, where we would like to talk about, even if they don't buy them. But I, I'm very surprised that after the first year when the ATS sold well – it's not selling very well, and I guess it's price. They pushed the price up a little too fast. Or? Price, and it's a relatively small market to begin with. Yeah, but as far as negatives on the track, it's super quiet. Yeah, which uh, that you combine with this uh, really soft rev limiter, 
and uh, you really got to you know learn where your shift points are because you'll be uh, you know coming off a corner and just man where'd the power go and you look down and, and you're, you're in the you're tacking out third and you're in the limiter and you you don't even know but Other you, than that, you know we're, we I didn't think we'd be at this point where we basically are talking about Cadillacs on a racetrack and we're nitpicking. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty really? amazing. Well, wait till the ATSV comes out. That'll yeah. be uh, a lot more fun. It should be. Okay, moving on now to the Beast, the Nissan GTR. Um, this is the uh, you know the the update of probably one of the the last real brutish sports cars out there. Uh, what you what did we think? Should should this monster be retired or did it's, they give it some new life or what yeah it's kind of nearing that point where like you're almost sick of seeing or even hearing about the gtr um but it certainly belongs on a track it's kind of hard to live with on a daily basis just driving it around savannah when we weren't on the track it got old real fast and there's nothing on the interior that really makes you want to stay in the car for it's pretty business periods of time yeah. so yeah but, but it's perfect for a track yep. i mean it's almost boring because it's so good all-wheel drive and that uh twin turbo um six it's just tons of power you can get on it so early so yeah i mean it's it's bred for the track absolutely i've driven a few gtrs over the years including over right-hand drive skylines over in uh, japan but this is the first time i've had one on a track here where i could just cut loose you know for a couple of days and enjoy it and uh, yeah, it's a pretty impressive piece um Probably the steering is a little vague. You know, I was surprised by that. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's not super crisp like you're expecting, but, yeah, the performance. Do you think is that's mostly the sure. all-wheel drive aspect of it? Because um, that, that always seems to take away from steering feel. Uh, could be. Could be. I don't know. not sure. I also did acceleration runs, and uh, it is just brutal acceleration. I mean, three-second 0-60s aren't really imp- that big a deal anymore. No. But just the way it delivers it. Uh, that trans and the launch control is just insane. Uh, it feels faster than any car I've ever ever driven. You Even characterized it as, as like we hadn't been we haven't been catapulted off a carrier deck, but it's got to be close. Yeah, I mean I've been <laughs> faster to sixty, but I've never felt you know that felt fast the before. speed, yeah, the yeah. acceleration. Some people will tell you that the older Skylines are the king of the track. They brake excellent. They handle perfect. Um, you know, with this car, it's it's different. It's more of a, a straight line vehicle to me for that intense, you know, acceleration that you guys were just talking about. This year, they got bigger turbos. The car can breathe easier. Um, so, you know, definitely upgraded, which is good. But my biggest gripe is the price continuously climbs oh, yeah. every year. I, it used to be a real, it used to be a bargain supercar. Well, I guess it's, it's still, still a bargain yeah, supercar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the first one we ever tested was like 79 or something like that. It was well under 100. Yeah. The thing that brings back memories for me when I got in the GTR is that it feels like an old Detroit high-performance car in a lot of ways. Not that it's rattling, but you feel the pavement. It is very stiff. And there's lots of mechanical noise. I mean, Mm -hmm. you feel like you're almost in the engine bay because of the clunks and the clicks and stuff that we used to equate to um, old Detroit iron and not always very positively. But in this car, it was kind of uh, nostalgic, but in a a very good way because the rest of the car is so capable. Yeah, I think they've taken some of that out Mm -hmm. recently. This one seemed Seemed quieter, a little more refined, well-mannered, yeah. Yeah. But it was it was still fun, and um, you know, having it and the the Lamborghini Huracan on the track at the same time, it was it was kind of fun, fun trip. 
Okay, Zach, speaking of fun trips, you're kind of back from the, the moon or the journey to the center of the earth or whatever you want to call uh, Iceland these days. Uh, you were there with Land Rover with the new Discovery Sport. I know the trip was cool. What about the vehicle? That was an incredible experience. I do have to tell you something funny real quick about okay. Iceland, that people actually were protesting against a highway being built because there were elves supposedly living. Elves. 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 With a, or v, with a V. Elves. Yes. Not elves. Oh, my God. Elves living in route of the highway. So I don't know if it ever got built or not, but that is a thing that happened. No kidding. So, yes. Well, I um, would, if they're going to be anywhere, I suppose that's where they'd yeah, be. Yeah, we can't just be ruining the homes of elves. I mean, I'm on their side. So the 2015... Discovery Sport. Uh, it's a 2.0 liter four cylinder, which uh, is Ford built and assembled. So that's pretty cool. Um, nine speed auto. Apparently, the first gear is more for off road use. So it's a much lower ratio, which can be slightly annoying at times. Um, but other than that, um, it's just a really, really comfortable vehicle, both on and off road, fully capable as you would expect with a Land Rover. Um, and this one's nine inches longer almost than the Evoque, and in my opinion, handles better than the Evoque. Um, and it's got uh, seven seats, uh, stadium style seating inside. Um, the back's really just for kids, but uh, you can still throw more stuff in there. So definitely a, a nice people hauler. And um, this, this is their mainstream vehicle. I mean, this what is this replacing the LR4? LR2. LR2. Yeah, the Freelander. Yeah, the Freelander. And. Although it's bigger. This is bigger than the LR2. Right. Yeah, and because I don't believe the LR2 ever had a third row seat of any type. I don't think it no. did. Yeah. Uh, it's overall, you know, combination of uh, comfort and versatility. Did you take it to some pretty demanding places? Oh, yeah, we did. We crossed some streams that, honestly, um, you know, I've off-roaded a few times, but you never know what you're getting into. And uh, it just went straight across, uh, you know, that stream, man, and on all the ice and uh, all the rutted out trails and everything. There was not one moment where anybody, even in our group, got close to getting stuck. Oh, that's impressive. And, yeah, it's very, very impressive, impressive vehicle for sure. In the past, I mean, Land Rover has done, and Range Rover, of course, have done, a, a, I think, a very commendable job of correcting the perception of less than great quality. Did you see anything in this new vehicle that tells you they've, made other more strides i mean did it give you any qualms about being maybe less than the most reliable or anything like that not that i found granted we didn't get to spend a lot of time with it um one of my only complaints would probably be the touch screen that was in there i think it's a newer system that they have now mm -hmm. um i wasn't a huge fan of it but i'm sure just as with any of those other screens it could grow on me yeah, they've made some uh, amazing strides. We recently had in uh, a, a Range Rover here, and um, the only qualm I really had with that was that I just thought the voice recognition system wasn't uh, probably as good as some others. But Iceland, if you're going to go anywhere to test an off-road vehicle, I think that's certainly one of the best places on the planet. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on now to our lightning round where we've got a couple of minutes to debate trending automotive topics. And when time was up, we're going to hear the bell, the bell that Greg has taken from uh, Patrick Lucas. There it is. Here we go. 
Uh, there's been some recent controversy, which will probably continue, uh, with Dodge dealers and Challenger and Charger Hellcats. Uh, basically, some dealers have been accepting customer orders for Charger and Challenger Hellcats with no guarantee they'll ever be filled or charging very high markups for the selected few they do get. Uh, FCA US, which is what we used to call the Chrysler Group, has responded negatively to the news. Who's crazy there? Uh, the Italian-Americans in, in uh, Michigan for not allocating more cars or what? Are dealers being undealer-like? Anybody got a comment? No, they're being dealer-like, which is <laughs> sleazy money grabbers and uh, making life miserable for people. That's what they do. But, Bad uh, experience? Or what, what, yeah. Well, it's, this is normal. <laughs> yeah, but and not good. No, but it's, it's not normal. normal to take deposits on cars that you know you can't deliver. In that's my not, life, I've seen it happen yeah, more than a that, few times. I'm sure it was like a slippery slope for him, too. I mean, giving the dealer some credit, I'm sure it started with like they had an idea that they might get some cars allocated to them. So they probably took the first few of the deposits and were like, you know what, we might be able to actually deliver yeah. these cars. But then they probably realized, like, hey, we're making money. Let's just <laughs> keep that taking them. I don't care if we bank. get the cars or not. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm with Robinson. I would definitely blame the. Uh, the dealers ahead of uh, FCA. Yeah, here. you can't blame Chrysler for wanting to keep it a limited production yep. special vehicle. I mean, they've, they've always done that with Viper. I mean, they could make any you know a ton more Vipers than what they do, but they uh, keep it limited, so the vehicle is something special. I've got a problem that even goes beyond that. To me, it's like I really – not only do I think that it's wrong for the dealers to be taking um, – deposits for cars they can't get. And I can tell you back in the late 70s, uh, Chevy dealers routinely did that on Corvettes. Um, I also have this problem with uh, these skies or no-limit markups. It's like, of course, I also have problems with people that pay them Mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to be a long time if you ever get that money back. But, you know, when a manufacturer sets an MSRP, I really do think the dealers ought to be sticking at least to the spirit of it. But sometimes you go in on something like this. I, I, I'm sure some of these cars have been marked up 10000 bucks or more. Oh, yeah, and then people put them on eBay before they've even right. taken delivery of them, marking them up another twenty, thirty grand. Yeah. It just, uh, I think, in a way that it spoils uh, something like this for people that might want to enjoy it. It automatically puts it out of their reach. And maybe that's good old American way, but um, I'm, I'm with you guys. That you was didn't, two minutes. You didn't even pipe in. I have nothing to say about that. The bell's already rung. You can't unring the bell. <laughs> Uh, I take my new duties boy, that, very that, that sounds very poignant. All right, let's move on now to um, our viewer question. Chet hates touchscreens and wants to know, <laughs> what is MotorWeek's take on touchscreens? Boy, I think we've got a lot of different opinions. <laughs> Who wants to cry? take a crack at that first? Well, the hater rate. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean, we've had, uh, you know, all kinds of touchscreens here. Uh, I assume he's talking about in cars specifically. Um <laughs> We've seen good ones and we've seen bad ones. I mean, mm-hmm. systems like the Chrysler system, where it's a huge screen, all the buttons are big. And and it's close to you. Uh, they're great. Uh, you get a system like the last Subaru system, where the buttons are tiny. Oh. You, can, you can't hit them without uh, hitting another button or... Ones that don't respond, then they're terrible. You know, it's it's like any other uh, technology. There's good ones and bad ones. Guys? Yeah, I agree. Just when the buttons are too small and then you add about how far away the dash is, it just becomes such a pain. Um, one of our long terms was like that. I can't think of what it is right now. What was it like? 
uh, it's just the buttons were all too small. And it was probably know, a Subaru, yeah, probably Subaru, Subaru yeah. 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 or the small there. screen on on one of the last uh, Volkswagen. I think the for me to like a touch screen, it has to work really well. And very, um, it needs to be sensitive to it the does. Touch. And well, my other problem is is I don't sit very close to the steering wheel, so if I want to use any Greg's touch a tall screen, guy. no matter no matter how much or how good the touchscreen is, I still have to reach forward. And it kind of interrupts my driving, and I try not to do it. But overall, I would rather have, if I have the option, I would take buttons and knobs over actually touching the screen. And just from an actual visual standpoint, when, you, when you're touching the screen and everything, it gets all smudgy, and it just yeah. doesn't look yeah. very good. Get that finger grease all over yeah. it, and then the sun comes out. And I'm sure somebody out there is saying, you idiots, why don't you use voice recognition? Because most of the cars that have sophisticated navigation systems. We're just not there yet. I don't yeah. even like talking to people, much less <laughs> talking to myself to order my yeah, car. Brian's <laughs> actually faced the other way in the studio. He doesn't look at any of us. The biggest problem there is it takes so many prompts. I mean, yeah. it's not like you can really say, and you, your point exactly, like, you know, go to the navigation screen or find me this. It's like you got to say navigation, then you got to say destination. I mean, by the time you've made four or five different inputs and waited for the system to respond, you're there. That's, right. that's why I like the like iDrive systems. And I said it like, and, a and year that's or two the next ago, place thing I wanted to say. People to. thought I was weird because no. I liked it, like Audis or uh, BMWs. And I think it's great when your hand's already down there by the shifter anyway, or at least mine is. So for me, I mean, it makes perfect sense to have a controller right there. You know, I think we have made a collective change in our um, or our opinion, a collective change in our opinion at Motor Week in the last year and a half or so. I think when touchscreens first started getting into cars, we thought it was pretty cool technology. And I know I and some others said, you know, they didn't like the iDrive controllers because they were cumbersome, the central controllers. Uh, now they've improved – to the point, or else we've gotten used to them, one mm-hmm. of the two, and we've got a BMW uh, uh, i3 here that's got a central controller and two screens, and frankly, I don't miss the touch at all. I find it much more convenient. So I don't know. I think the hands off, uh, the hands on the knob, or at least the voice, if they'd ever figure it out, that's better. Okay? I think we're all in <laughs> Okay. Yeah. We're all agreeing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So there you go, Chet. Maybe I hope that uh, tempers uh, your uh, anger just a little bit about touchscreens, but at least you know that we're pretty much in your camp. Yeah, I want more questions from this guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's I pass- like talking about things Passionate. Like passionate. <laughs> so I don't think they're going away, though. I mean, no, I don't think so. To, you might have to get on board, Chet. I'm yeah. Sorry. I'm afraid if you're going to be looking for a car that doesn't have one, I'm not sure that the non-touchscreen is a growing trend, at least not yet. Uh, let's just hope they get the voice recognition down to something that we all can uh, use. And that, I think, speaking of voice, brings to an end our MotorWeek podcast, number 113. I'd like to thank everyone sitting around the table here, our writer and um, G producer and uh, two-wheel and reporter and all these other things he does, Brian. A true Brian, renaissance. Brian <laughs> Robinson. Unbelievable. Uh, but, Greg, you're not going to go far. Our assistant <laughs> producer and the guy who basically is uh, does pilot. an awful lot uh, to make our road tests look as great as they do uh, – 
Greg Carlos, and our over-the-edge reporter, who is probably one of the most pure automotive enthusiasts that we've ever had on our stack staff, uh, Zach Mescal. Wow. I like Old that. Yeah. There's a lot of compliments I'm that right there, John. That's, Thank that's, you. Uh, that's really true. Definitely one for the resume. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for always making us sound a lot more intelligent than we actually are. Our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, for starting all of this a long time ago. And our podcast producer, who's conveniently somewhere else on the planet today, Patrick Lucas. For all of us at MotorWeek, thank you very much for listening. And be sure to catch MotorWeek on your public television stations and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. I'm John Davis. Thanks for watching and listening to MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.